This week on Binge Reading, Annabelle Monaghan and the ultimate summer nostalgia read about an engaged woman who comes face to face with her first love who she hasn't seen in 14 years. What happens next calls into question everything she thought she knew about their love story and herself. Welcome to the joys of binge reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and on Binge Reading Today, Annabelle talks about Same Time Next Summer, her latest funny, good-hearted rom-com, just the thing to get through the winter or to laugh over at the beach. We've got a great lucky dip of giveaways this week from BookSweeps, Kobo and BookFunnel, three different offers with in total more than 100 books available, so get online to make your choice. All the details for where to enter these draws and offers on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. And do remember, if you enjoy the show, leave us a review so others will find us too. Word of mouth is still the best way for others to discover the show and great books they'll love to read. But now here's Annabelle. Hello there, Annabelle, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. Romance is a genre I do notice it's changing quite remarkably from maybe five or seven years ago. There's a lot more life in the stories as well as the romance, and your stories are a typical example of that. It's much more than these days finding the right guy, isn't it? I think it's always been in life a lot more than just finding the right guy. I do seeing how people are diving a little bit deeper into what is actually going to make you happy because you can have the right guy and he can have all the right pieces and parts and you can still be unhappy. So I love seeing stories where women are finding their best selves along with finding a great guy. That's lovely. And the two books that we're going to be talking about today both very much exemplify that. Tell me, what drew you to romance as a genre to write books in, in the first place? It's a funny you ask that because it didn't. I, when I wrote Nora Goes Off Script, I was writing a story that I might want to read. And I didn't really think about the genre that I was writing in. And when Putnam picked it up, they, I had my first marketing meeting and they said, we're going to market this book as women's fiction and as a romance. And we're going to see who picks it up. We're going to see who is excited about it. And overwhelmingly, it was the romance readers that were excited about the book I wrote which made it into a romance. So I went about it in a backwards way. I didn't really think about what kind of a book I was writing, but I guess I wrote a romance. Now, that first book was called Nora Goes Off Script, and we'll talk about that a little bit later because it was your first, but you've now got a second one that you've recently released, same time next summer. So we'll start by focusing on that because it's the most recent one. And that one is the first love story. We'll get a little bit more into what the various 
ways are that you can tackle romance in a moment. But that one is the first love story. Tell us a bit about how that one came to be. When you're writing your second book, you do start to panic a little bit because you're you don't want to write the same book over again. So I was trying to come up with something that was totally different, really, from what I had written in Nora Goes Off Script. And I had thought a lot about the movie, The Philadelphia Story. Have you seen this movie? I don't think I have, although I know it's a classic. It's a classic. It's from 1940. And Catherine Hepburn brings her fiancé home to her parents' house to get married. And her ex-husband is living next door. And... It's a, a very fun story. But what it really ends up being about is about going home and seeing how much you've changed since you've left and what heartbreak can do to shape your identity. And I've thought a lot about that movie over the years. And I decided that I wanted to write a book that was like that. I wanted to take a young girl and she's a teenager and run her through a wonderful, heartfelt relationship and just blow the whole thing up to see what kind of a person she would become as an adult. So that story goes back and forth in time between when Sam and Wyatt are teenagers and in love, and now that she's an adult and she's going home and runs into him again. Yes, now when she does go home, that's nearly 15 years later, I think, around about 15 years yep. later. They haven't really seen each other since that terrible summer when it all broke up. And she's got a fiancé on her arm, Jack, who she's planning very intensive plans going on for the wedding. So it does sound as if it mirrors Philadelphia very closely. Now, Carly yep. Fortune, who's one of the rising romance stars, described it as everything I want in a romance. And I wondered, what do you want in a romance? I love Carly Fortune for saying that, by the way. <laughs> that was so sweet. Here's what I like in a romance. I like... I like to feel it. I like to feel the whole thing in my heart and in my body. So sometimes when I read a romance and you have these people who have this great dynamic together and they fall in love and something terrible happens and then they get back together because one of them had a change of heart, that's not enough for me. Because people don't just change their mind and then they love you again. In a romance, I always look for the extra piece where something monumental has changed in them to make them come back together. That's wonderful. Now, when we start out, the characters are there. Wyatt is a little bit vague at the beginning because we don't know much about him. We only see him through Sam's eyes. But at the beginning, when we see Sam's life, as a woman, you're a little bit puzzled about why she feels like She's trying to convince herself that Jack is the one she should be marrying. You're not ever really entirely convinced that she is convinced herself that she wants to marry him. What's going yep. on there with that, that she's telling herself in her head, this is the man I should be marrying. He's ideal. Yeah. Sam's part of her heartbreak was that everybody that she counted on completely let her down. And she was broken by that. And I think that in this story, as an adult, she is looking for the thing that she can count on. And there's a lot to be said for that. And I honestly, I respect a lot of people who choose something in their lives that's going to feel safe for them so that they can be okay. There's actually nothing wrong with that. But when you do that, you're giving up sometimes the big magic, the big 
love that has the possibility to destroy you. And it made sense to me that Sam would choose a man who had everything all planned out. He knew exactly what exercise he was going to do every day. He knew what sports their kids were going to play. He was just very much a predictable, stable guy. He might have actually been an okay guy for somebody else. That's a great way of seeing it. Also, it's so much a story of summertime and the beach and being young at the beach. It infuses the story even 15 years later. They capture that feeling of what it was like to be 15 at the beach. And I wondered if there was personal experience for you in that and maybe even a little bit creeping in of a first love at the beach in a teenage years. Oh, so many first loves at the beach. I think every time I was in love, it was my first love. But I grew up in Los Angeles, so my childhood really took place largely at the beach. We went to the beach all the time. We had to drive there. We didn't live on the beach, but I spent a lot of time at the beach. And there is something to me that is so sensory about those young memories, being 15, 16, 17 at the beach and having the salt dry on your skin and the way the sun felt on you and the music that you listen to each summer can transport you. I have all of those memories still. And it was really fun to write a book that took place so much in the summer because it was, I don't know, it was just easy to get back to that nostalgic feeling and conjure all those memories. And of course, Wyatt is a musician as well. So music does play a huge part of his life. Yeah. And that transports her back. It, I needed a lot of things to crack her very hard exterior that she has worked so hard to cultivate to survive into adulthood. Now, in both books, there is a neat plot twist about three quarters of the way through, which gives you a, a pitch of excitement and something unexpected happening. And it made me wonder how you go about your writing process, how much outlining you do, or whether you let the characters themselves lead you to that point? How do you go about it? I go about it in a very messy way that I don't recommend to any of your listeners. I start writing a story with a very narrow premise and I write with abandon until I get to the end. And by the time I get to the end, I have an understanding of who my characters are. And then I start over again. Ah. It is really, it is the most inefficient, ridiculous writing process but I find that I can have ideas about a book if I'm three quarters of the way into the book. It's, it's living in my mind and I can start having ideas while I'm taking a walk or doing the dishes. But I don't have original ideas unless I'm actually typing, like to start a story. So I just have to sit down and write my way into a story. And once I hit the character, once I understand who she is and who he is, then the whole thing becomes quite fun but it's very exploratory for a long time until that happens. For the reader in this book, you get to know Sam at the beginning and Wyatt is still quite a mystery, quite a way in until you start to see him. Was that how it was when you wrote it? Did you start with the strong idea of Sam and Wyatt gradually revealed himself? Well, that's a great question. No, I actually knew Wyatt quite well. And ah. I think that at some point during the million drafts of this book, I had maybe 100 pages of Wyatt's life in his perspective when he moved out to California and the jobs he had and the recording studio and the girlfriend. I had all sorts of stuff that got cut from the story. 
So as you're reading, if it feels as if he's being revealed slowly, that's because she doesn't want to look at him or remember him as much as she does in, by the end. Sam is remembering him as we're getting to know him. And that's when he becomes more clear. But I had a clear sense of him early on. Wow, that's interesting. So how many drafts would you have written of that particular book? Oh, my goodness. I probably wrote 12 drafts of this book. Oh, gosh. My goodness me. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It is. And it's fun. Each one's fun. There are a few days that aren't fun, but finding a story is, it's just a really fun process. Yeah. Look, Nora goes off script. I love this book. And one of the things that I particularly loved about it was the very knowing way you had of writing about romance tropes, the very well-known tropes generally that romance follows. And we know that in this book because Nora is a screenwriter for romance movies. So she's very familiar with the various tropes. And I wondered what trope that book itself would fit. Regular person dates famous person. I think that's the trope that it hits. Actually very funny to me. I didn't know the word trope until after Nora Goes Off Script was published. I'd never heard the word before. And what I was thinking about instead of tropes when I was writing that book, I was thinking about all the ridiculous things that you see on the Hallmark Channel when you're watching those made-for-TV movies. Do you know those movies? We don't have Hallmark here, I don't think, but I do no, know what it means, yeah. They take place in very small towns. Generally speaking, there's one person from the big city and one person lives in the small town and they don't get along and then they fall in love. And that those are the movies that she writes. And I think that what I was talking about was tropes, but I didn't know that word. Look, it's interesting. For those listeners who maybe have not come across that word before, how would you describe it for the general reader? It's the thing that you run across in a romance. So it's grumpy guy falls in love and becomes not grumpy anymore. It's the trope where you're fake dating, where you have to pretend to be dating someone, like in the movie The Proposal. You get to the hotel and there's only one bed. You know, there's only one bed is the name of a trope. So it's the tricks or the mechanisms that romance novels use to hook you. People and have favorite tropes. So they say that Same Time Next Summer is a second chance romance. That's the trope. And all the people who love second chance romances want to read another one. You never get tired of the trope that you like because there are so many different ways to approach it. Yeah. And it's interesting how romance readers, they know their trope, don't they? They do. Is there a baby one, either surprise baby or fake baby or extra baby? Please don't give me an extra baby. <laughs> Can we not make that a thing in real life? That just sounds terrible. I wondered as a trope expert, you, perhaps you're not a trope expert, I assumed you were because there were so many different sorts of movies that she was writing and she knew what she had to do so well. But in romance generally, have you noticed since this last upheaval we've been through with COVID and the political situation in the States, which is still quite fractious, do you think there's been a change in the tropes that people like or are they timeless? I haven't noticed a change. I think that they are timeless. And I think that a romance novel is a place where you go to to escape, but also to learn something about somebody's life and to process things. And I think those stand the test of time. Yes. Do you read a lot of romance yourself? And have you got a favorite trope? 
my favorite trope is, and someone just told me that this is the only trope that actually never happens, which made me laugh. I really like the fake dating. You have to come home with me and pretend to be my fiance because my parents are going to disown me. That never happens in real life. I don't know anyone that's ever happened to, but I just always find the awkwardness so funny. I love it. That's lovely. And the other thing, I think 10 years ago, romance was probably a little bit more formulaic than it is now and a little bit less interested in the emotions. But I see that many of the reviews of your books refer to the deeply emotional nature of the stories. And I had the feeling that was far more important to you than the physical expression of love. Oh, that's such a lovely compliment. Yes, absolutely. I really get into, when I'm writing, I really get into the emotional state of the characters that I'm writing about because it just makes the writing much easier and more fluid for me. And I find that the emotional connection to the person and then getting to be romantic with them, the actual act of sex or being together is so much less impactful than just the satisfaction of the emotional buildup. So yes, I'm writing from a much more emotional place, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Turning perhaps away from the specific books to talk a little bit about your wider career, you've had a really interesting career as a writer in journalism before you turned to fiction. I wondered if you'd give us a little bit of an idea of, number one, how you came to write fiction and what you were doing in the years before you did actually turn your hand to writing fiction. Yeah, so I wrote my first book when I was... 37 years old. So I, I didn't start right off the bat. I always wanted to be a writer. I forever, like when I was a little kid, I wanted to write. I studied writing in college. But when I was graduating from college, I realized that I would have no way to support myself as a writer. And all of my friends were moving to New York City. And I thought, I don't think this is going to work. So I got a job in banking. And I actually worked in banking for a couple of years. I went and got a master's in business. I went back to banking and I did that until I had children. And then I was at home with children for eight years. And I did not start writing until I was 37. So it was a very long way to get there. I don't think that even if I had the opportunity to do it earlier, I would have had the confidence to do it or really anything to say before I was 37. But a friend encouraged me to write a book with her, and I think that it was her confidence that made it happen, and that was really how I got started. And then once I got started, I was hooked. Yeah. And what was the first book that you wrote together? So we wrote a book called Click, and it was a nonfiction book for teenage girls about positive thinking. It was not a big success. But because we wrote that book, I had a literary agent. So as soon as that was over, I started writing my first young adult novel, which was called A Girl Named Digit. And because I had that agent, then she sold that book. And then I wrote a sequel to that book. And then I wrote my column that I was a column for women and mothers that I've written for about 12 years. And I was just writing that until COVID hit and I sat down and wrote Nora Goes Off Script, which was my first thing that I wrote for adults. And do you mind me asking, you have got children. I've got the feeling that they were sons. Do you have any daughters? I do not. I keep looking for one. I do not have a daughter. I have three <laughs> sons. And yet you've been writing books that are for young women. 
Yes. I When I was writing my young adult fiction, people used to ask me all the time, how can you write about a teenage girl when you don't have a daughter? And I thought I was a teenage girl. I still have that teenage girl inside of me. And I just find that I understand like the emotional life of like my own emotional life and the emotional life of my friends better than I understand what a man's emotional life is. So that I think and I'm not going to start writing about my sons. I guess teenage boys probably are looking for more adventure action stuff if they read it all, aren't they? They are. Although one of my sons has been wonderful about reading my books and giving me notes and suggestions. I really appreciate that. But for the most part, no, they, yeah, they're not reading anything that, that I would want to write. That's really interesting. And does a teenage boy have a very different perspective on your books than maybe that your readers would? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. One of my sons, he read Nora Goes Off Script and his comment was, I just, it's just so gross, mom. She's so old. He's 37 years old, engaged in a relationship or 39 years old. And I thought, wow, is that old? Yes. Thank goodness they're not my target reader. <laughs> Lovely. You've got a very funny part on your website that talks about things you don't know about me. And I noticed there that one of the pieces of advice you give is marry a Canadian. Now, I thought that was really funny. You know what? It's actually great advice. My husband is Canadian and we shouldn't be generalizing about large groups of people. But there is something about, including his family, Canadians I know that just don't get so uptight about everything. They are just like, they just let a lot of stuff go and they're very easygoing. I love my Canadian husband. That's wonderful. Look, if there was one thing that you would ascribe to, quotes the secret of your success in the creative area, what would it be? That's a great question. Now I would tell you that I have a brilliant editor. So she is the secret of my success. She is so patient and so brilliant with me. But what I think has gotten me to where I am is just being light about it. I don't sit down and write a paragraph and then toil over it to make it a perfect paragraph before I move on. I don't take my writing that seriously as I'm going. So it doesn't bother me to cut 100 pages because I didn't spend six years writing 100 pages. And I think that part of that is just because I'm a little older. Like, I'm just not taking every single thing so seriously. Yeah, that's wonderful. I noticed that you do have book club questions in your books. And I wondered if you did many book club chats and what kinds of questions you got from them that might be surprising to you. I do a lot of book clubs. Lately, people have been asking me, and I had never thought of this before, who would I go out with? Leo from Nora Goes Off Script or Wyatt from Same Time Next Summer. I'm getting that question a lot this summer. And the answer is Wyatt every time. I get a lot of questions about when these are going to be made into movies. I get one question one time that surprised me. A woman asked me if I intended to use such poor grammar in my book. I didn't know how to answer that. I said, well, I thought it was okay. You rely on an editor for that anyway, don't you? you I do. I said, I've, I've never heard that before, but thank you for pointing it out. So what did she object to? Was it split infinitives or? <laughs> no, you know what? It actually, I asked her, I said, can you give me an example? And she said, well, it's the way people speak. 
Uh, and I had I was explaining to her that people don't speak in perfect grammar. People speak in fragments and asides, and that's just how a conversation yeah. goes. Yeah. But I thought that was such a funny question. I'll never yeah. forget that. We always like to ask our authors about their own reading tastes because this is binge reading, and we do focus on books that people read for escape and entertainment and pleasure, not necessarily for improving their minds. What kinds of books do you like to read, and what would you like to recommend to our listeners? I like my taste in reading, and it's probably because I'm just trying to get away from my own writing. My taste in reading is generally very murdery. I like murder in England. So I like anything that Lisa Jewell writes. I will buy every single book. I have bought every single book that she's ever written. Do you know Lisa Jewell? I know the name. We haven't had her on the show yet. Oh, just put drop everything and read them all. They're all just very smart, murdery things. I love Elizabeth George, who's oh, yes. a mystery writer. Yeah. And oh, I just, I'll read all of those forever. So that's what I like to read when I'm just doing whatever I want. When I'm reading closer to what I write, um, my very favorite is Amy Popel. Who oh, yes. Had have you read her The Sweet Spot and Musical Chairs? We've just had her on in the last few weeks, actually. Oh, yeah. did you? Yeah. yeah. Oh. I think she is. I think she is absolutely brilliant. And I love her books. So I can't wait for the next one. That's wonderful. Fantastic. Looking back down the tunnel of time, if there was one thing you'd change about your creative career, what would it be? I would have loved to have started the butterfly effect, right? You don't want to change anything because everything worked out fine. I think that I would have loved to have had a little bit more faith in what I was actually good at a younger age, maybe like to go work in publishing for a while or work in some capacity with words rather than numbers so that I would have immersed myself in this life sooner. But having said that, I the path you take is the path you take. So, But publishing is a business as well as a creative activity, isn't it? Yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's surprising to me, actually, there are quite a number of authors. I'd say maybe 25% maybe or 20% of the people that I ask that question, that is the thing they say, I wish I'd had more confidence in myself as a younger woman or person. And that doesn't just apply to to my writing career either. I wish that I had always had more confidence. That's the beautiful thing about getting older is you receive your confidence. You step into your confidence and it's a very good feeling. What is next for Annabelle as author? Say, looking over the next 12 months, what have you got on your desk that you need to pay attention to? So I have my third novel. It's called Summer Romance. That is due on July 14th. So I am finishing that. I'm feverishly working on that now to get that back to my editor. And then in August, I think I'm going to start my 2025 book. So I have a book coming out in June of 2024 and June 2025, but I have not thought of an idea for the next one. So I, I'm just writing. I'm writing all the time. And so Summer Romance will be the June 24 one, will it? Yes. Fantastic. Mm. Invite me back. I would love to come talk to you about it. Fantastic. We'd love to have you. Look, Thank do you, you love interacting with your readers and where can they find you online? I love it so much. 
I can't tell you what a joyful part of my day it is to pick up my phone and have somebody say something or quote something back to me that mattered to them and then they tell me why. It is the most magical thing about being a writer. Yes, I love it. So my website is AnnabelleMonahan.com and I am Annabelle Monahan on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. Although I'm not on Facebook very often. I'm mostly on Instagram. Fantastic. You saying about loving to talk to readers, I had not thought of that question of who would I like to date, Leo or Wyatt. It's just fascinating <laughs> the things that people think of, isn't it? It's wonderful. What's your answer? Oh, I think it would be Wyatt as well. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good. So I want a trajectory where we're improving the men with each book. Yes, I think he was a nice enough chap, and he was very restrained towards the end of the book. But Wyatt had a special something, yes. <laughs> he did. Oh, he did. He's so sweet. Look, Annabelle, thanks so much. It's been a delightful chat. Thank you for being willing to come online today. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Next week on Binge Reading, Madeline Escadar's Kiwi thriller, Rings of Water, the second in her best-selling Matakana series. A narcotics pickup at sea goes horribly wrong. A man is lost overboard. A dangerous series of events sends shockwaves through the local community. This is the second in the best-selling Matakana series, set in a rural seaside community north of Auckland, New Zealand. Sergeant Bill Granger is hoping for a quiet off-season. Instead, what seems to be a straightforward case of an unfortunate death turns into a, a complex web of small-town secrets and revenge that will soon place Bill and his family in danger. That's next week on the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. And remember, if you enjoy the show, leave us a review so others will find us too. Word of mouth is still the best way to discover the show for others to find great books they'll love to read. That's it for today. See you next time and happy reading.